Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Saving money on protecting your garden. Now at Menards. Messina's Animal Stopper is a liquid repellent that prevents pesky animals from damaging your garden. Available in a convenient, ready-to-use bottle. It lasts for up to 30 days, regardless of weather and watering. Save big money on Messina's Animal Stopper at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals happening now. I'm Gary O'Reilly. And I'm Chuck Knight. And this is Playing Playing With with Science. Science. Today we throw a little something extra into our endurance. It's not going to be enough just to go long or even play at being Iron Man. Today we're going to max it out as this show goes ultra. Ultra, baby. Mm. You ever run a marathon? You know, 26 heartbreaking miles of bone-jarring pain, right? Why am I saying right like I've ever done that? I've never done that. Okay. Guess what? I'm never going to do it either. But imagine that and then take it to another level because that marathon is a warm up to an ultra runner. These guys and women are the ones who run 50 mile races, blast through 100 kilometer runs, and drop 100 mile races like it's a dime. That's how it goes down. It's their thing, man. It is. Um, and Tresson is one of those truly amazing athletes who just happen to have broken 20 world records in her time. Just yeah, 20. Just 20. And she'll be joining us along with a fabulously named Dr. Ultra. Dr. Ultra. I, do, I must admit that that, that has really uh, captivated my imagination, aka Sean Beard who will be with us very shortly and bring us the insight into the science behind ultra endurance. So let's not waste any time. Let's get straight to uh, Sean and a.k.a. Dr. Ultra. Dr. Ultra, are you there? I am here. Sweet. We are living in the age of ultra. Okay, I'm I'm sorry. Welcome to the show. I'm not going to do it anymore. Let's just just introduce you a little bit better. Exercise physiologist at Idaho State University with particular interest in ultra endurance performance and host of the podcast Science of Ultra. So maybe you could tell people what is ultra running really? Like, can you give us a a, a more... Um, detailed breakdown. I mean, people know what a marathon is. And is it really just running longer or is there more to it? Technically, that's exactly what it is. So very specifically, an ultra marathon is anything defined as anything longer than a marathon. So, you know, in some ways, everybody who's run a marathon has run an ultra because they've walked a few more steps. But of course, that's that's pushing the limits of the definition. Really, an ultra marathon race the shortest ones are about 50K, so that's 31 miles. Okay. And then the standard distances are 50 miles, 100K, which is 62 miles, and 100 miles. But they go on up to 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 multiple, several hundred miles, and the longest sanctioned event is in New York City at 3,100 miles. Now, can you please tell us about that? Because I've never heard of a race that's 3,100 miles long, and you're running this race? You're running for 3,100 miles? Indeed. So it's called the self-transcendence and get, so it gets even worse than that. Please. It's, you go, you go around a, a city block in, I believe it's in Brooklyn. It's a half a mile 
and you have to go around it 6,200 times. Wow. Now, this in, is, in one go, you just don't stop. Yeah, or you're you're no, going to take, you're gonna take like a relay. So, you certainly stop. Yeah. So it takes people 50-something days to, to do that. Wow, that is insane! It's a, a a city, a New York City block, square block is what we're talking about. Yeah. You know, when you say go around the block, you mean uh, all the way around. So it's it's really like four blocks when you think about it. The way the way things would yeah. be set up, and you just do that six thousand times. You do, and you know, self transcendence. It kind of gives you an idea of where your your head has to be to be able to accomplish something like that. But that's an oddity. Traditionally, marathons, ultra marathons are on trails. Mm -hmm. They're sometimes on track, actually, and sometimes on road, but they're often on mountain trails. And, you know, the typical distances are, like I said, up to about 100, although the 200 mile distance is becoming much more popular. Wow. And these trails... One hundred miles isn't enough. Uh, yeah, exactly. You go for two hundred yeah, miles. Wow. Yeah, you know, I just knocked out a hundred miles like it was no thing. I, mm -hmm. uh, I'm not even tired. I'm not even winded. Uh, Going to have to up this to two hundred. Uh, so, when you're running these trails, um, are there sanctioned trails and different races that take place during different times of the year so that you can kind of train for the terrain? Uh, does it work like that? Yeah, sure. So there are races all around the country and, and of course, indeed, all around the world of all distances. And so people plan out their calendar year, you know, shorter races, perhaps to prepare for their goal races of longer, longer distances. And most people can't handle a hundred mile race for more than a couple or a few times per year. Oh, wow. I'm not handling it at all, Matt, yeah. but that's just a personal note. <laughs> I, I'd like to take you to some of your research and you have a fabulous term here called bioenergetics. Um, and that's the sort of gaseous movement at a cellular level. Um, could you break that down for us as we can understand a little bit more of what your research was about and what you actually came to the conclusion with? Yeah, sure. So bioenergetics is really just a sounding, fancy sounding term to describe an interest in the energy use by the body when we're doing work. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it's running. So do we use carbohydrates? Do we use fats? How does oxygen use um, incorporate into all of that? And so my research is really about understanding the efficiency of movement and the economy of, of movement, particularly of, of running then, and trying to then translate that understanding into helping people be able to go these greater distances just a little bit easier. Mm, yeah, well, that's what it's about. So when you're talking about efficiency and you're talking about uh, conservation of energy and output, so what are some of the ways that you see to increase efficiency? And does it happen on... Is it something that we can do in terms of change, changing our physical... Um, uh, behavior while we're running, like, or or is it something that happens on a cellular level? So we have to change, like, maybe our diet or what? How's it work? Yeah, all of the above. Okay. So initially, initially, we're we're talking about people learning how to run better, better form, better gotcha. gait. You know, we've okay. all seen people that look like they're running from a fire when they're yes. running, right? So people become more efficient early on from that standpoint. Once you're fairly well trained. Though over years, you become more efficient, we think through a lot of connective tissue adaptation. So we think about normally of our organs, our muscles, our heart, our, all of these sorts of things. But what holds us all together is the connective tissue. 
It's the stuff between the cells. And it turns out that we now appreciate when muscle contracts, the muscle itself, the muscle cells aren't the things that are gen- that are transmitting most of the force. That in fact, actually most of the force is transmitted laterally into that connective tissue, about 80% of it. And it's that connective tissue that's holding the tension and actually able to to do the work um, for us. Now, so give me a second. Give me a time. second. Uh, let me just so I can understand you. I'm sorry. Well, because when you say connective tissue, are you actually talking about tendons and ligaments and actual connective tissue? Yes. Okay. So thank tendons you. and ligaments and inside the muscle that 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 tissue continues. The tendons continue up into in between cells up in the muscle. Oh, okay. Okay. But at a cellular level, we become more efficient as well. So, you know, if you start to exercise, you get to a point where it's hard, but conversation is still possible. And then you go a little bit harder and now maybe it's shorter sentences. And then you get to a point where you're just like, dude, don't talk to me. I want to, I just need to run. I need to focus. Right. Yeah. And then you get to that point where, you know, something's burning inside because you're working too hard. Well, there are a couple of cutoffs in there. The one that's around where you no longer want to have a conversation and then one that's closer to where you're sort of starting to burn. And we can pr- predict the amount of oxygen, the amount of energy you're using for every increase in pace or every increase in speed during those easy, that easy segment. But when you get above that conversational effort, we become inefficient. We actually start using more oxygen for the change in pace. Ah. And with training, we can reduce that. So we do become more economical and more efficient, both of them, uh, at, from the cellular level right up to connective tissue so and you're, form. you're saying that there is a law of diminishing returns that's at play during the performance of running. And so you can actually change that to kind of increase that threshold before you reach that law of diminishing returns or that point of diminishing return. That's right. And for shorter races, you go ahead and, and you just use up that that inefficient place because going faster is more important. Right. You're not going to f- necessarily fatigue until you hit the finish line if it's a 10K or 5K or even a marathon. But if we're talking 50 miles and 100 miles, now that little bit of inefficiency catches up to you long before the finish line. And you need to, to train to get better at that. And you also need to manage yourself better and your pacing strategy. Isn't wow. that what we would always call muscle memory? And, and, and sort of in the broader term where you're conditioning your muscles and the connective tissue therein and you're adapting it to work at the load that you want it to work at? Yeah, I think there's probably some some parallel there. When we think about muscle memory, we're, we're really thinking more about the, the adaptations that occur in muscle and then what we're able to stimulate that muscle to adapt to again later. So from a training perspective, I, I think there's probably – there's probably some truth to what you're saying. Uh, particularly for the endurance and the ultra runners, is there um, a, a muscle type fiber that's more conducive to that? We always hear about fast switch muscles and sprinters, but what's the other side of that or the other end of that spectrum for endurance runners? Yeah, sure. So we classically think of, of fiber types in three or four kinds. There's a slow twitch, there's fast twitch, and we can start subdividing the fast twitch muscles into ones that are more oxidative, more endurance prone, and, and ones that are just much more power. Well, so it's the slow twitch type one fibers that are the ones you really want if you're going to be an endurance runner. And one of the interesting things that happens with aging is we tend to get more slow twitch fibers. 
as well as training. So training, we now know will do this mm. and aging tends to do this as well. And so we're finding that the peak age for people in ultra marathons, that is the peak performance age is somewhere in like the, the older thirties to the younger forties. Yeah. Let's hear it for the old people. Yeah. yeah. That's There's right. There's hope for the old people. Yes. Okay. So speaking of training, what's the most important thing when it comes to training? Is it proper training in terms of your regimen? Is it nutrition? Is it sleep? Is it recovery? What is it? Rule number one, absolutely will get you 90% of the way there. It's consistency. Oh, so the, the number one pillar for training is just being consistent. And so people take up running and run say on the weekend because they don't feel like they have time during the, during the week. Right. You can't make up on the weekend for what you didn't do during the week. You just go through this cycle of sort of you getting injured and then trying to recover and getting injured. So consistency, a little bit every day trumps all the rest. Then we can start layering in all the other little subtleties of doing little faster bits or doing hill speed work, things like that, or cross training even. But number one, consistency will get you most of the way there. But I love that you brought up recovery and sleep because that is where we get better isn't it? During a workout, when you go to for a run, you are not getting faster. You are not getting better. You're breaking down. Right. And, but that's the point. So it's a stimulus. And then we get better when we're resting and our body can recover and adapt and change. So people need to really pay a little more attention to, to that. And ultra marathon runners run a lot of miles. Uh, a lot of people get away with doing something like like 50 miles per week, but there are many people who do 90, 100, 140, and even a few rare people do. Where do you get the time to run those kind of miles? I'm bad. Well, of course, the people doing close to 200 are that's their job, right? So they're, okay. they're professional runners. Yeah, yeah. All uh, right, we got that one. So, so thinking of when you talk when you talk about 200 miles a week. Okay, I want to I want to phrase this so I don't offend anybody. Okay. This would be a first. <laughs> Chuck, you're worried about people's feelings? What the hell just happened? What happened to Chuck? What have you done with him? Um, so I have a friend who has to have a tendon taken out of another part of her body and put into her Achilles uh-huh. because she kept running when the doctor said, hey, you need to do this, 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 and this. And she was like, oh, I can sneak in 30 miles a week. It's okay. So here's what I want to know. How do you stop that from happening? Number one. Number two, is running that deleterious in terms of punishing your body? Number two. And number three, uh, is is it is it her fault? <laughs> Is it your fault when that happens? Okay, you're testing uh, my memory with the, with these multi. Didn't he just? Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's a lot going on there. Achilles strain is one of the most common injuries in in all of running, whether you're doing massive miles or not. Yeah, and so it is something that's common. The way that you can avoid, to the best of your ability, avoid injuries like that, mm-hmm. is that the first time you start to feel something, rest. There you go. So too many people say, oh, it's just a little something right. and it's okay. And they keep going and they keep going before, you know, they develop a chronic injury that, that, that either breaks right. and like you're talking about surgery, or then you need to take a, a tremendous amount of time off. So that's the most, most important thing to be able to do in, in her case. Was it her fault? So I would say it sounds like, yes, because it sounds like people were telling her that she didn't needed to rest more. Right. Mm-hmm. And she didn't. There you go, Jackie. I told you. 
I, I'm the one who told you. Okay, I'm sorry. So, uh, going back to the recovery, I mean, occupational hazard for any anyone running or, or, or performing in that sense is an injury. But when you are doing this sort of mileage, when you talked about the, the, the professionals who might be running, you know, north of 200 miles per week, how do they recover? You know, some of the elite guys... I mean, I've seen people like Mo Farah, who's not really uh, an, in, uh, an an ultra, but he's a distance runner. He'll go to sleep in an oxygen tent. You've got cryo chambers. You've got all these other things. I mean, are we are we way past ice baths by now, and we're into the real sci- science fiction, or are there other things going on? Well, there are quite a number of things that you mentioned there. That is, is there are cans of worms. Yeah, things like altitude altitude tents and oxygen tents and uh-huh. ice baths, and so to not take us off on to sort of those tangents. No, I want to go on those I, tangents. I, <laughs> I want to go on those tangents. You don't worry. To, you want to no, go there. You go seem there. to have a problem with those other things. Don't do be. you? Well, there are some modalities that are useful, okay. but many that athletes use that are not. Uh, and, and well, let's get into so, that, man. Yeah, that's, we'll go that's there. That's good stuff. Let's no go problem. there. We'll go there. So, so why, <laughs> what are the ones that you think are not good and why? Just, I mean, just well, as a general. Let me address the original question. Okay, which was go, just ahead, about go ahead. I'm sorry, I got too we, excited. Are pushing the limits, and I think mm-hmm. that we are. And I, a good example was this last year at at a famous race in Europe called UTMB, where an American runner named Jim Walmsley was really expected to do very well. But in the months before this, he was pushing his training to the limits, and he was doing about 140 miles per week mm-hmm. in the Grand Canyon, which included about 50,000 feet of elevation gain and loss per week. Wow. And then when he hit the race, the start line at UTMB, he didn't get very far and, and he broke. He wow. was burned out. Right. And we do and we see that happen. So the, these runners, and it's rare to have a runner that is doing 200, but they, they're out there. We tend to see them not living in the sport for more than a couple of years, generally. It's the people who are more conservative down closer to 100 or a little over 100 that tend to last longer. But that's still a lot. You're right. That's still mm-hmm. a lot. And recovery is important. So- you know, an oxygen tent, uh, probably not, is because what we're trying to do there is is deliver higher pressure of oxygen for better recovery. But the reality is that our blood flow to all of our tissues when we're resting is adequate. If we measure the blood that's coming out of those tissues, we have not extracted all the oxygen that's there. Higher pressure of oxygen eh, probably doesn't really do much. But you know what? The placebo effect is real. Right. It matters. If somebody believes it works and it doesn't hurt you, do it. I'm all for placebo effect, yeah. whatever benefit you can get. So physiologically, maybe the data aren't there, but if, if they work out mentally, then no. Ice baths, if you have an acute injury, yes. If not, what you're doing is dampening the, the reaction of the immune system that is beneficial to helping you to adapt. Ah, interesting, interesting, interesting. I don't like the idea of an ice bath I, for my whole body. That's just, forget yeah. that. I mean, it's bad enough you ice your ankle and you put right. it in a, in a little sort of ice bucket. Yeah, I yeah, for those things. Right, I don't we're like going to take a break. Uh, more from Dr. Ultra. I love saying that. More from Dr. Ultra, a.k.a. Sean Bearden, when we get back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, 
packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh... (laughs) <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Welcome back to Playing With Science and our ultra running show. Ultra. Um, ultra. And we have Dr. Ultra, a.k.a. Sean, Sean Bearden. Bearden. And if you've just joined us, you've missed an awful lot. So you've got a lot of catch-up to do. Yeah, good and, uh, stuff. So just press where Ryan and go back and uh, hey, listen Doc. to the rest of it. So, hey, hey, Doc, you, 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 Gary was just saying in the break that you played soccer. And, uh, yeah. you know, before you got into a uh, uh, running period, you played soccer. And so I'm interested to know, and maybe, Gary, you can help me with this, too. Uh, is soccer a good prerequisite for getting into distance running because you guys who are so Gary is a professional soccer player former professional soccer player so many years ago but still you did it so uh but you guys run like I don't know how many miles do you have to how many miles do you think you run during the game uh, honestly like it just it depends on position certain positions will cover more ground than others uh you might do the conversion for me doctor if you get a midfield player who's really i would say active right they might get towards 15 kilometers 15 kilometers in a game so so does that did did that have anything to do with helping you in your um you know discovery that you really love this ultra running thing no didn't help me discover that at all okay but i do think it helped me in in performance and i do i do think that it helps in performance the reason it didn't is because i i love you know soccer is sprint rest sprint walk sprint jog sprint right right it is not continuous slow running and when i was a almost like an interval training isn't it exactly what it is exactly what it is I, i looked at the track runners and i just thought they were crazy and that's just looking at people going five ten miles right um, but when you get into your later years, soccer isn't competitive anymore. And, you know, if that's my mindset, then I can't just play for fun. And so I looked at other ways to to push myself and this seemed to be one. But I think that a background of soccer and I would say multi-dimensional sport. So lacrosse, other things like that mm-hmm. works really well for for mountain trails, 
So again, ultra marathons are often run on track or road, but they're most commonly thought of on mountain trails. Okay. The power that you're, that you develop in soccer is very useful for good for, for pounding up, up short Hills. Yeah. And the agility, the leg agility for running over rocks and roots and uh, an uneven terrain. Wow. I have found seems to be a real benefit. Ooh. There you go. That's um, great. That's great. We've discussed in that first segment with you about the biomechanics and all the cellular things and, and things it needs to be done. But we are learning so much as we do on every show. So much has to take place upstairs in the mind. Mentally. And the psychology of ultra running. First and foremost, most people will run the other way from an ultra event because that's just way, way out of their comfort zone. Hmm. How have you found that as they regards can run to, the other way? Yeah, that's good. As, as long as they're running, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> but you took my point. Um, how, how do you see the psychology of ultra runners, ultra endurance athletes? You know, that really is what it's about. Honestly, that is what it's, that is what it's about. So I like to say that that running an ultra marathon is about 50% physical and 90% mental. Wow. Okay. Okay. I love, right. I love the math. You know, I, 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 you know, I don't believe you can go beyond. I, yeah. I, I always 50% have physical and 90% like, oh, mental. <laughs> I love the math. 110%. Let's be honest. You only have hundred percent. Right. But, the, but it gets the point across. And the yeah. point, the point is that these, once you, once you can run a marathon, a lot of people think these ultra marathons are crazy and they think they, well, I ran a marathon and I'm destroyed. How can I possibly go more? Mm -hmm. I promise you, even though I've run hundred miles at a time, every time I finish a shorter race, I think the same thing. So how do I do that? And it's because it's, as you said, it's all upstairs. It really is mental. It's yeah. about taking care of yourself. It's about doing all the things that are important in life skills, if you will. How do you handle a day? How do you handle adversity? Mm -hmm. Do you take negative feelings, quickly observe that they're there, turn them around to find a positive in it and keep going? So how do you, because that's, it's not something you go, oh, now I know how to do it. I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. So it how, do, how do you yes. set yourself up to achieve that? Identifying it firstly is step number one. Right. What steps follow Number one, and yes, where do you go with that? Secrets. Give <laughs> us your secrets. Yeah. Talk to Dr. Ultra like that. <laughs> go on, please. There are a lot of parallels here to, to meditation and mindfulness training because right. that's exactly what that is. That is all about. It's okay. really just to get you be observing your own thoughts. You know how your day goes. You drip, you're paying attention to a thing at one moment and suddenly now you're thinking about the next thing and that thought takes you to something else. And before you know it, you're thinking about, you know, you're way off topic. And it's being able to see that happening, catch it and bring it back to the present moment. So the, what you do is you go out, you, you run and you practice this. And as you're running, you think about how am I feeling? You, you look around, you're paying attention to yourself all the time and you're paying attention to your thoughts. You know, am I suddenly thinking about what's for dinner later or that appointment I've got to get to bring it back? That doesn't matter right now. What matters right now is being here and making sure I don't have a blister, making sure I'm eating, making sure I'm drinking. So you practice it and running. But you know what? The, the, what I encourage my athletes to do like, and I coach as well is to do this in their daily lives. You're driving down the road. What are you thinking about? You know, pay attention to what you're what you're really doing. Stay in the moment. 
And when you observe yourself starting that conversation with that colleague that, that you don't like so much and you're starting to feel a little aggravated, mm-hmm. observe that as quickly as you can and bring it back. Oh, sorry, Gary. I didn't mean to do that to you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how the good doctor knew about that, but there you go. All right, so let me ask you uh, this. Let's switch gears for one second, okay? As we get kind of towards the end here of our interview. Uh, so I see people, and this is a maybe a cliche or just a trope for running, but they're running and they're running and then they stop and then they throw up. But I read that one of the most common reasons for a DNF, which I believe is a do not, did not finish, is gastrointestinal distress. So can you speak to that, please? Uh, sure can. So yes, but we need to be careful about how we view the science. So first of all, those studies have been done in very hot races. Okay. All right. And when there's a lot of heat, we're sending a lot of blood flow out to our skin and we're getting less blood flow to our gut than we even normally do when we run. And the gut doesn't like that because blood flow is what we need to be absorbing those nutrients and you have to be eating in an ultra because you run out of of available energy. So that's an issue that's already set up in a hotter race where those studies have been done, number one. But number two... Yes, it's the most common single reason for a DNF, but if you add up all the other reasons as one group, more people drop out of a race for a reason other than GI distress. So in other words, GI distress may be like 20 or 30% of the dropouts. Gotcha. But there's no other single group that's bigger than that. No other Ah. single reason that's bigger than that, right? Okay. Still, a lot of people just find it hard to eat. After after they have been running for a very long time, and it's hard to get calories, and just nothing looks good. Wow! Wow! Do you, do you have to you train the body in terms of the the muscle, and you acclimatize it if you're running at altitude, and you acclimatize to the distance? We've now got ourselves focused because we we've we've listened to Doctor Ultra, and we, mm-hmm. we we're in our zone and in our moment. Do we now have to learn how to eat? Yeah, brilliant. We, yeah, we do, we do absolutely. So our guts do adapt. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lining of our intestines do does adapt. The things that we eat, we express more of those receptors and channels to absorb things. And the reality is that at aid stations, at ultra marathons, it's a lot of junk food. It's yeah, candy it's and candy potato and, chips yeah, and cookies. Jelly beans. And things like that. And things that a lot of people don't normally eat, especially health conscious people don't normally eat during a day. And it is important to train your guts. Eat when you go for a run and eat the kinds of things that you're going to be eating at an aid station. Wow. Very cool, man. Yeah. I can't believe we're out of time, man. When are you running next? Because you do yeah. like yeah, a run. Yeah, you still run. I mean, you're, how, many, how, many, how many runs do you undertake per week? Personally. Oh, I, take one, I take one day off. I take one day off. And so it's, I run every day. And I do about, I average about 70 miles a week. And oh, it, it goes up to 80, 90, sometimes 100 depending on, on the race I'm training for. Why do, why do my knees hurt right now? Just hearing him say that. I don't know why. You see, my whole body is just in pain. Anyone who's never oh. met you or was unfamiliar with you now knows that Dr. Ultra isn't just, you know what, I'll call myself Dr. Ultra because I can. You kind of live in it. You are absolutely immersed in it, aren't you? He has the fun because he runs the run. There you go. I am. It's, it's an amazing thing to find what you love in life and be able to do it in all the aspects of your life. Well, it's been a pleasure having this conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Without a doubt, man. Well, yeah, uh, another day where we sat in the front of the class. Yeah, learned a lot of good stuff today. We did. So thank you to Dr. Ultra. I'm only going to use Dr. Ultra. Dr. Ultra. And we're going to take a break. And then when we come back, 
Anne Tresson. This lady is an ultra, ultra runner. She has broken 20 world records. Oh, wow. Going to enjoy talking to her. Stick around. We'll be back very, very shortly. Welcome back to Playing With Science. This is our ultra show. Yes. Uh, we can talk about the science. We can talk about how the mind does things. But in the end, we need to talk to someone who knows exactly what it's like to put one foot in front of the other. Yeah. And Trazon is our guest. Uh, here we go, Chuck. You're going to love this. Broke 20, 20 world records. Yep. Um, it's not unfamiliar with running 50-mile races, 100, 100 kilometers miles, or 100-mile yeah. races. That's right. Wow. That is ultra. That is pure. That is the pure, to me, definition of ultra. And Trazon, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. Ah, it's a pleasure. You are welcome. Um, What first attracts an athlete to running this sort of distance? Not thinking that you can. Not thinking that you can. I mean, you're talking ultra marathons. You know, you can get into people have discussions on what really an ultra is. I personally think anything more than a marathon, so anything more than 26.2 miles is an ultra. And I knew, say, when I was 24, I was looking for a new challenge in my life. And I knew I could run a marathon because I'd done 20 miles in a race before in high school. But when I saw a 50-mile advertise, I was like, that's not possible. Yeah, so it was like you saw you you start something and you think I'm not sure I can do this and it gets you alive. It's like electricity flowing through your body. You're like I'm starting something and I don't know if it's possible. And there's not a lot of things in life really that you can do it within a reasonable amount of time and challenge yourself like that. and also train for it. And you know, there's just a lot that goes on. How did it feel wow. to be so far out of the comfort zone? Because that is way out of the t- terms of my uh, thinking, that you distance. Know, I can't, that's, you, got, you hit the nail on the head. You do, you're getting out of the comfort zone. I'm someone, if I'm not getting out of the comfort zone, then I'm not feeling part of life. The first 50 I did, it was 110 degrees. I had no idea what I was going to do. So it really um, wasn't a very pleasant experience. I but, should uh, say. You're not kidding. Yeah. You know. <laughs> it... I can, uh, having, I mean, at the moment, I wouldn't even run a bath, let alone 50 miles. Is it a kind of addictive thing that you, once you get going in there, you just got to go back and do it again and again and again? You know, I think probably for a lot of people, it is. Some people, it's like a bucket list. They want to go do this thing called Western States 100. It's 100 miles in California. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we always say, hey, that person got bit got took the bite and those are the people you see that you know there's a guy i met he wants to do there's 50 hundreds in next year right and i i was at this running new running store where i live i live in auburn california where western states happens to end i love that race by the way um but by the way, you're you're yeah. you've set a world you've set a world record in Western states just to let people no, know that. No, I didn't say there wasn't a world record, but I, I did win it fourteen times. Fourteen times the women's, but I'm seeing the store, and I said, "Prove it." He had a spreadsheet. He was like, "See," and I'm driving, and he figured out how much money it would cost to drive to all these events. I was, and each one like he's paid for it. He's on the fence. And he has 53 he's going to sign up for, and he's trying to do 50 hundreds. And, I mean, you know, you, whatever 
challenge, you know. Pretty amazing. How do you train for an event like that? Well, I try and train it, you know, kind of comparable to whatever I'm racing on. So mm-hmm. if you're doing a mountain hundred, I do a lot of mountain running if I'm doing flats. But oppositely, what people don't realize, it's the recovery time. Right. So say I'm doing something that has a lot of mountainous trail. Then my recovery was on roads and do short road runs because it's quick, it's fast, it's different. So, um, you know, but every single person, when you push an envelope, reacts differently. So that's kind of the beauty of mm-hmm. training. You kind of learn what, how your body can handle. I could never do back-to-back. You know, a lot of people run 30 miles, 30 miles, or 20, 20. Uh-huh. I, it would take me six weeks to recover. So Interesting. a lot of trial and error. Well, at least that's how it was for me. I mean, other people might not. But um, yeah. I think that's the beauty of it because you really you, you learn so much about yourself mentally, physically, emotionally that um, I, I've never never got it before in anything I've done. So I'm interested to know, like with all these races, you know, the 14 world championships and all the world records, you run the fifties, you run hundreds, the 100 K and all these races. Do you, do you, are they kind of like children to you? Do you have recollection of every single race? Is is there a race that was your toughest race and a race that was your favorite race? I mean, how do you look back and view these accomplishments? You know, I, I tell people, I don't really have much of a review mirror when I'm talking to people like yourself or people ask me. Western States was where I felt most comfortable. I ran the first 30 miles on that course and it changed my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was going to go to graduate school. I was going to get married. I was going to do all this stuff. And within 30 miles, I decided I wasn't getting married to this dude. And I was going to spend the rest of my life outdoors. I wasn't going to be in a lab. Wow. I was go to lab. But um, Western States definitely just, there's things in life. I mean, I fell in love with it like you fall in love with a person. I mean, I, but the hardest race I ever had was Comrades Marathon. It was in, it's in South Africa. I was really challenged there and. I am. Um, I ran a performance when I wasn't feeling at my best, and ran. Uh, uh, was pushed, and I responded in a way I didn't know I could really respond. And it's probably something I hold dearest in my heart that I could do that and be challenged and not give up. There was a woman, Maria Bach. Subsequently, she did get popped for steroids. I'm just saying. But, um, as, as you do, yes. Yeah, she, but you know, I knew that was what was hard. I looked at her and I'd been running against her, and I'm like, damn, man, she's not, there's something going on here, but you can't say anything. Right. So I, I'm interested. I'm interested when we discuss with athletes that if they don't do it, it doesn't get done. So all of the responsibility lies with them. And they are faced. We, we recently did a show with Sugar Ray Leonard, the boxer. And, oh, whoa. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he was getting served by uh, Roberto Duran. And he said, I had to dig deep. I had to yeah. go somewhere. And yeah. he said, we've all got that place. It's how we use it when we get there. And I'm interested in your story. Where did you go? What did you find? And how did you use it when that challenge came to you? You know, I looked at myself, and I kind of was watching myself run. I was two minutes behind Maria for the longest time. She took off up this hill. And I said, how do you want to be when you cross that finish line? 
And I said, I just don't want to be two minutes behind her because I kept saying two minutes, two minutes. And I said, you know, I, I'm going to hold my head high no matter what happens. I said, damn, if she's going to be two minutes ahead of me. So with, when it got to be double, single digits, it was in K, so 15K, this uh -huh. big downhill. I said, I'm just going to pretend the bottom of the hill is the end of the race. So I just started sprinting. I just said, you know what? I just, I'm going to be the person I want to see at that finish line. And it just clicked, and I started running super hard. I had one of the fastest last 15K. And there are 15,000 people in this race. Wow. It's huge. <laughs> And I just, just, when I cut to the bottom, I was 145 behind her. And it was just like someone, I was like, I don't know what happened. I just like took off. I'm running like five, three miles at the end of a 50-some mile race. And it was so crazy. I entered the stadium. I mean, we're talking, there's so there's over a million spectators. This thing's on TV, live, South Africa. Nelson Mandela gave the awards. I mean, this is a big deal for Anne. And I'm pretty sure. shy at the time. And I entered the stadium, and Nike had my, they call them seconding teams, all these rugby players, and they announced me as Maria Bach. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And then the rugby team busted through all the security people. I mean, I don't know how I did it, but I, I beat her by two minutes. And, and I never said anything. I just, you know, and I, I was grateful for the challenge because I, I really... And I just put everything else. I just focused on the now moment. It sounds as if you have a certain amount of freedom mentally when you are running those sort of distances. Is that ultimately your reward? Apart from if it's a race, you're winning. I always tell people you have to be in the now moment. I mean, if you start, if I start daydreaming, I trip and rock, fall. I mean, there's some times, I use a lot of times you have a companion. I had a really good friend that used to they're called pacers but like mm -hmm. the last it's nice when it gets and i'd look hey gary look at the river and then bang i hit my head on a rock or my knees you know so and also the more you're in tune with your body the better you're going to be because you're really and all these things you're kind of pushing the envelope and so the more you're in tune the less something less something will mess up you know or you have to catch it before it becomes a problem i always said i wasn't the most talented but i was a good problem solver mm-hmm what were the problems? <laughs> so I was always thinking, how am I doing? How am I feet? I had a little mantra. And then if it was a problem, I wouldn't panic. I mean, I'm one of these, one of the things I'd say is there's a place where I get so much pressure, I do better. But if it's like today or something where, you know, there's a lot going on, I have an event coming up, I'm scattered, I'm not focused. But if there's something like, you know, car coming towards me you know 50 miles an hour somehow i can rise to that kind of pressure but day-to-day -day pressure i'm kind of a plague wow so let me ask you when you with all of these championships and these victories and you know of course you love what you do and so that is what drives you um but do you, is there ever any kind of I don't know, post-race letdown or like, it's like, wow, you did all this training and now here you are, you've accomplished a goal, you've even, even maybe even exceeded your own expectations. Is there ever any kind of like, I don't know, maybe like post-race blues, like like what, what they used to call like the baby blues after you have a baby or mm. like, are there like post-race blues? I mean, uh, or anything like that? Do you ever experience that kind of stuff because you're so accomplished? I mean, is, is there any psychology uh, involved with that? Well, you know, when I, well, you don't know. I hate when people say, you know, you know, you know. Um, 
when I first started doing these, it was, and I couldn't stand it. Uh-huh. So what I did was I started planning my next event before the event, the event even started. And so, because I'd get a little nervous. So how I would do it is I'd start sketching out the, my challenge for the next race. And I wouldn't let myself, I, I said, like, I didn't have rearview mirrors. So I'd finish a race and I wouldn't even be thinking, I'd be like, well, that's great, but I have this other goal. Wow. So I'm very goal oriented. And I found that helped because I know a lot of people talk about that. And most likely um, it did initially, but I'm not that kind of, you know, I'm always looking after that 50 mile. It was so miserable. I said, well, you know, I really want to find some endurance. I like the endurance. Someone tried double century. Didn't like that on a bicycle. Then I tried a marathon and I was successful, but it was not my, it didn't drive me. So then I just got back into um, trying to do more 50s and 100s. But there's always, there's always something. Like right now, I have, we've talked before the show. Right now I have a goal. I, unfortunately, I got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and I, I can't run anymore. Oh. I love people. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not a nice illness. But no, it's instead not. of like sitting around and, you know, eating, uh, I started like walking ultras. <laughs> And now I'm doing one in every state. I'm going to do one in every province, every territory. And I have Kansas next week. And I'm going to Virginia. Then we have Thanksgiving. And I'm going to South Carolina. And I'm, my new biggest challenge is I'm going to do a six-day. Cool. And those are historic. So they go back to the 1880s. And I, I just need those challenges and the people. It's like kind of my tribe. It's my family. And it's where I feel comfortable. And even after everything I've done, I go out and I waddle around and can't hardly do these things, you know. Like, for instance, I did 100K in seven hours. I went and did this one in, in Georgia. It took me 29 hours to do 62 miles. Okay, I was chatting around, but, you know, I don't like, oh, wow, man, that's kind of depressing. And that flickered through my head. I went, whoa, that would get most people depressed. And I said, hey, you know, I'm still out here. And, and that's just it. You, you are, there is still an element of competition within you, uh, no matter what condition your body is or is not in. That competitive, the competitive self won't it's diminish. It's a competitive self. I never really, really tried to compete against someone else. Like that one in South Africa was a big deal, and Nike it was my sponsor, and you, they, you know, it's kind of you have a sponsor. It's like win or go, go home. And somewhere like that, I knew, you know, I didn't want to let them down. They'd put a lot. But mostly it's like how to make do better against Dan. I, I think if you compete, especially these endurance, and you're always thinking about someone else, you're never going to be the best you can be. Wow, that is some great advice right there. Isn't it? I've got one question, Anne, and hopefully. How do you organize your nutrition? Because you can't eat heavy but you're going to need as much energy as you can get your hands on. So how do you organize that? Well, I've done a little research. What I did in the day was you can't really digest. I think more than, you know, don't, you know, be scientists out there agreeing, you know, say 350, no more than 400 calories an hour. So I try and just get it. I set my watch. I'm old. You know, you have garments now, you have everything to go off every 30 minutes. And I just take a goo. Before that, I eat some M&Ms and jelly beans, but I tried to get 100 calories in. And it's not easy because you kind of like, after a while, it you don't want to eat. But I just pretend to see myself kind of sitting on a rock and how I'd look if I bonked. 
and there'd be like, okay, you got to eat. And I'd just like, Bleh. but yeah, I, I just forced myself to do hundred calories every 30 minutes. And it's not easy. Some of the stuff you're, the research is still out. A lot of people get upset stomachs and throw up. It's kind mm. of disgusting. Yeah. I used to have a lot of problems. So I kind of learned where, how far you could push it, chew on a little ice that, you know, kind of it swallowed. I, you know, like kind of was thinking, mom, when I had surgery, you know, they always give you ice chips. So I started doing that. That helped. But yeah, you have to keep that constant kind of energy going. And just sometimes that's the hardest part. I have to say, a lot of people, you got to figure out what to eat. I was lucky when goo came out. It's like this gel. Yeah. Yep. That, uh, I honestly, I would do one. We're talking every 30 minutes for 18 hours. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot. It's a lot of good. I, I would yep. do it. Wow. What a and pleasure. That, yes, it was. And thank you. And Trasson. Um, and good luck with your quest to do 100 mile walk in every state oh no i'm out no no anything over 26.2 it's my rules there you go <laughs> and they're your rules and you make them break them okay well nice chatting with you gentlemen Such pleasure, pleasure was ours thank you so much indeed so thank you to Anne trasson i mean there is so much going on out there that i didn't realize with the Ultra, ultra, and mm-hmm. things we've learned from this endurance series. The thing in I've learned. Head. The thing I've uh, learned the most is I'm not ever doing any of this stuff. No, I agree with you. Yep. I'm not running a marathon, let alone going ultra. Never again. Um, but I said never again, like I've done it once. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's another area of sport mm-hmm. where we've sort of like pulled the curtain back, stuck our head in, had a look around, and gone, wow. wow total respect yeah. for what these athletes yeah. are achieving, what they have to do. I mean, who thought you've got to consider all of your dietary, nutrition, and everything else? Not just your, your Monday to Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but your in-race nutrition, how you do it, and if you don't, the problems that you might have. Right, right. And then the constant battle with your own mind. That's where it is. To yeah. achieve. I mean, the elite elite athletes who are out there going for world titles, you think, well, they're winning because it's easy for them. No, they've got devils and arguments and conversations yeah. going on in their head, just like the rest of us. That's, I, I know, I know, I know. It makes it even that much more daunting to think about that, you know. I, I, I mean, I just think about how scattered my brain is, you know, uh, walking from the uh, bedroom to the shower. Uh, I can't imagine running 26 miles. I think what we've discovered is that's your best excuse for not doing ultra and not taking showers <laughs> oh t- tmi right on that note which is possibly not the most fragrant we are going to say goodbye i've been gary o'reilly and i've been stinky fabulous right this has been playing with science hope you've enjoyed our ultra marathon endurance show and we look forward to your company very very soon